You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Maybe Jesus is threatening your way of life. Maybe he's threatening your power. Maybe he's threatening your popularity, or maybe he's threatening your pocketbook. At some point in time, we're going to put Jesus on trial, and people go through this exercise every single day. People must decide whether to accept Jesus and the claims he make about himself or reject him. There is no neutral ground. You either accept him fully or you reject him completely. Do you really know who Jesus is? Do you understand the proposition he has for you? He offers a gift, salvation from sin and its eternal consequences. But as Pastor Dave will explain in today's message, this gift won't leave you unchanged. It'll turn your entire life and way of thinking upside down in a good way. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 18 as he begins his message, Trials and Denials. John 18 is where we left off, 12 to 27, if you would like to follow along silently. Verse 12, then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him, and they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it would expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of the man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always met, and in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I had said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose, Peter, whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied, and immediately the rooster crowed. 
after praying in the garden several times, asking the Father to remove the cup of suffering, Jesus submitted to the Father's will when he said to Peter, Shall I not drink the cup which the Father has given me? With these words, Jesus is now willingly choosing to go to the cross. He has submitted to the Father, and he is now choosing to offer himself as a sacrifice. He is now choosing to be beaten and bound and hurt severely, to go to a cruel Roman cross on our behalf. Jesus now is resigned to that fact. It is the Father's will. The Father's not going to take the cup from him. So he says, I'll drink the cup. It's time. Scripture says that he humbled himself and came obedient to the Father. Obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Jesus knows that the Father prepared this cup for him. Jesus knows that this is why he came to earth. We're celebrating that in a couple of weeks. But this is the main reason Jesus came to earth. To drink the cup, to take the cup that the Father has designed for him. He knows the pain and the heartbreak that's to follow. But he also knows that the suffering he's going to endure will eventually be transformed into glory. He knows what it will accomplish. He knows that many, thousands, nay millions will come to the knowledge of him, will accept him as their savior and be born again into a living hope, making them children of God. He's talking about you. He's talking about me and the millions of others that have accepted him in the couple thousands of years that have passed. Jesus is submitted to the Father and he's now trusting completely in the Father's will. And he allows himself now to be arrested by the detachments of troops which Judas led into the garden. So as we come to today's verses, I see two trials taking place. They're taking place at the same time. One is a shady judicial proceeding, which the outcome has already been decided, while the other trial is of a different sort. The other trial is a trial of character. It's a trial of devotion, and it's a trial of faith. One will end in glory, accomplishing everything that the Lord wanted, while the other will end in denial and failure. So as we begin, we read that Jesus is led away from the garden to the house of Annas, the father-in-law of the high priest. Let's look again at verses 12 and 13. Then... The detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It's interesting to me that the first thing they do is they bind Jesus' hands. It says they bound him. They tied him up. They, they wrapped up his arms. They wrapped up his hands. They treated him like a hardened criminal. This is the same person that just a few weeks or days ago was teaching in their synagogue, was teaching in their temple. And here they are treating him like a hardened criminal. What do I see in this? I see the beginning of the atrocities that will be committed against him. Simple? Yes. Atrocities? Yes. You see the beginning of it. You see the beginning of it. They bind him. And they take him to Annas. Why did they take him to Annas if he wasn't the high priest? 
That doesn't make sense to me. Well, we got to need a little history here. Annas had been the high priest, but he had been deposed of by the Romans, and now his son-in-law, Caiaphas, had been put in the place. It's interesting, though, that the official office of high priest was supposed to be for life. It was ordained by God. It was in their law that the high priest would rule for life. But the Romans didn't like someone having that much power. So they would change high priests as they wanted to, whenever it struck their fancy. But that didn't stop the people of really thinking of someone they really loved as high priest. So they took this person, Jesus, to Annas first. The detachment of troops goes there. It's another interesting fact that, as I studied, Josephus brought this out. It is believed that the high priest's family was in charge of the temple business, selling the sacrificial animals, doing the money changing, and those kind of things. What did Jesus do in the temple courtyard? He overturned the tables. He basically ruined the family business. So they're taking him now to Annas, and Annas is like, okay, yeah, here you come. Now you're standing before me. Now. So it's no, no clean. I'm sure and Annas was very glad to see Jesus come through the door because, like I said, he basically ruined their family business. He was ready for a payback, if you will. And the crazy thing that this trial is nothing more than a preliminary hearing. It's nothing more than an inquiry. But nevertheless, it was illegal according to Jewish law. This entire night would be illegal according to Jewish law. According to Jewish law, They weren't supposed to have trials at night. According to Jewish law, they weren't supposed to have trials during the feast days. What feast were they celebrating? Passover. They were celebrating Passover. There wasn't supposed to be a trial during Passover. It was illegal for the Jews. Witnesses were supposed to be brought. There were no witnesses here with Annas. There's not going to be any witnesses the entire time until they get near the end. So this trial is nothing but a sham from the get-go. To prove this, John reminds us of the unknown prophecy given by Caiaphas way back in John 11, verses 49 through 53. Take a minute and turn back there, a couple chapters back to chapter 11, when there's this plot to kill Jesus. They have this plot to kill Jesus, and beginning in verse 49, Caiaphas is speaking. It says, then one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider what is expedient for us, that one man should die for the people and not the whole nation should perish. Now this is he, he did not say this on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also that he would gather together in one children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Why did John tell us this? He told us this to prove that the judgment had already been passed. They weren't going to hear anything. They weren't going to listen to anything that Jesus had to say. They weren't going to listen to anything anybody had to say. They had made up their minds that Jesus was guilty. They had made up their minds that he deserved death, and that's the way it was going to be. He deserved nothing less than death. It would not be a fair trial. It would be simply unfair and unwarranted because no man ever walked the earth as innocent as Jesus was. Jesus was totally in it. In fact, 
If you've heard the term, it would be a kangaroo court. According to the dictionary, a kangaroo court is a mock court in which the principles of law and justice are disregarded or perverted. This was a kangaroo court. But there's a question I have to ask here. The real question at hand is, who is Jesus? Who is he? Is he, he, is he who he claimed to be? These religious leaders will not allow this to happen. They will not allow Jesus to claim that he's God, that he's equal with God. They will not stand for this. They had made up their minds. Jesus had to go. He was threatening their way of life. He was threatening their power. He was threatening their popularity. And he was threatening their pocketbooks. He had to go. You know, at some point in all of our lives, we're going to put Jesus on trial as we decide, is he who he claims to be. Have you put him on trial in your heart? Maybe Jesus is threatening your way of life. Maybe he's threatening your power. Maybe he's threatening your popularity, or maybe he's threatening your pocketbook. That at some point in time, we're going to put Jesus on trial. And people go through this exercise every single day. People must decide whether to accept Jesus and the claims he make about himself or reject him. There is no neutral ground. You either accept him fully or you reject him completely. But there's a bigger issue, a much bigger issue here. Will your court be a legitimate one where witnesses are listened to? Evidence is examined and the right verdict concluded. Or will your court be a kangaroo court where the outcome is already determined before any evidence is... In other words, have you already made up your mind about Jesus? Have you already made up your mind? Maybe you're coming in here and you said, well, I'm just going to church because that's what we do on Sunday. And you haven't made up your mind. Well, I've made up my mind about Jesus. Many of you have already made up your mind and you haven't even seen the evidence yet. And this is a sad and most dangerous place to be. But while this mockery of justice was taking place, another trial was taking place. Another trial was happening concurrently. In other words, at the same time. This trial, as I said, would be one of character. It would be one of devotion and it would be one of faith. Let's look at verse 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that, Jesus, now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. Peter follows Jesus, and so did another disciple. So the question we have to ask immediately is, who was the other disciple? Who was the other disciple? Now, tradition tells us it's John. Tradition says it's John. John knew the name of the servant that cut off Malchus's, uh, cut off, uh, Malchus's ear, or whose ear Peter cut off, Malchus. John never referred to himself by name. On the other hand, is it unlikely that John would know the high priest, being he was a fisherman from Galilee? However, many people believe that the Zebedees had business with the high priest because of the fish they would catch. They would come to Jerusalem and they would sell it possibly to the high priest. But when John referred to himself in the other five passages in the Gospel of John, how did he defer to himself? The disciple who Jesus loved. Yes, that's how he referred to himself. He doesn't do it here. He doesn't do it here. Guess what? Some people suggest this was Nicodemus. Other people suggest this could be Joseph of Arimathea. Why? Because they were both Pharisees, and they would have known the high priest and would have had entry to his house without hesitation, without problem. 
Who is this disciple? We have no idea, and we can only speculate. We can only speculate. Where the Bible is silent, guess what, folks? So should we be. But we know Peter was there. We know that Peter was there. And from the other Gospels, we're informed that Peter followed afar off or from a distance. And folks, anytime you're following Jesus from a distance, you will always get in trouble. You will always, always get in trouble. Remember, poor Peter's heart and mind were confused. He still had this grandiose vision of the Messiah. He still thought Jesus was going to, you know, take names and kick butt. He thought they was going to tear down things and make himself the ruler. He had this grandiose idea. But that wasn't going to happen. We're told that Peter was standing outside the door. Then another disciple that was known to the high priest went to the girl that kept the door open and ordered her to let Peter come in. Let's read the next. But Peter stood at the door, verse 16, outside. Then another disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, Are you not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. I am not. Sometimes in the midst of a trial, we end up with denial. Sometimes in the midst of a trial, the end result is denial. This is denial number one. It's amazing to me how often we're ready for the big trials. Give me the big trials. Peter said, Lord, I'm going to die for you if I have to. Don't sell Peter too short. Remember in the garden? Whips out his sword and says, oh, let's go. Come on. He was ready to take them all on. So don't tell Peter too short. You know, we swing our swords and we want to give defense for Jesus. We want to defend him. We swing our swords. We open our mouths. And then all of a sudden, a squeaky little girl comes by and goes, aren't you one of his? No. Exactly what happens. We stumble and we deny Christ. Peter said, I'll never leave you. I'll lay down my life for you. He faced an entire regiment of soldiers in the garden when he pulled out that sword. Peter was zealous. He was ready to go. He was ready to fight and possibly die at that time. But here in the quiet of the night, in front of the high priest, he wilted by a question of a young girl. He wilted. You know, it is often when we're feeling victory that the enemy attacks in the most subtle ways. Peter must have been pretty full of himself. Yeah, see, I pulled my sword out. Where was your sword? I pulled my sword out. I was after that guy. I cut that guy's ears. Yeah, yeah. Jesus healed him. But you know what? I had my sword out. Were you one of his? No way. We get a little victory under our belts and we think that we, we're, we're invincible. We think that we can stand up there. Peter may have felt so strong, but you know what? Paul had something to say about that. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he said, take, let a man take heed when he thinks he stands, lest he falls. Peter was about to learn this in a major way. Verse 60, 18 says, Now the servants and the officers who had made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Peter was there. There's a lesson here, folks. There is a clear lesson that we need to look at. A clear lesson. Do not seek warm at the enemy's fire. Do not seek warm at the enemy's fires. Many times. When our love for Jesus starts to wax cold, when we're a little bit of circumstances, we start, we have a cold heart, we return to the enemy's warmth to get comforted. What do I mean? 
You're having a difficult time, and the first thing you do is you go back to the nightclub. You go back to the casino where you can find warmth for your soul. You end up at the bar so you can have solace or companionship. You go back to the old crowd for acceptance because they love you so much. They're the old crowd. We find warmth when the enemies grasp. Nothing good ever comes from this. Instead of warming ourselves at the enemy's fire, we are to resist the enemy and he will flee. We are to stand strong in Christ and say, no, we need to be like Job. Though they may slay me, I know my Redeemer lives and I will stand with him one day. I will be with him. Interesting, when you look at the four accounts of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you follow Peter's path that night, you can see him gradually moving into a place of temptation and then into a place of sin. And his actions really seem to parallel, if you will, Psalm 1.1. In Psalm 1, the very first psalm, the very first thing says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. First of all, Peter walked in the accounts of the ungodly when he followed Jesus and went into the priest's courtyard. Peter should have followed Jesus' counsel when Jesus said, get out of here. Leave. Peter stood with the enemy and warmed himself. Before long, he sat down with the enemy. And now it's too late. Peter denied the Lord already, and soon he would do it two more times. Peter was already caught up in this thing. And how could he get out? How could he possibly back out? John must have had a great time writing this because all of a sudden he jumps back to Anna's house. I, it's, like, it's like, wow, we're going back and forth here. Let's look at 19 through 24. And now we're back in Annas' house. Remember, they're going on the same time. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I had said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Annas begins his questioning. What about your disciples? What about this doctrine that you're teaching? This was illegal. This was an illegal questioning. It shouldn't have been. In Jewish law, it was like our Fifth Amendment of incriminating ourselves. He wasn't given the chance. He was asking these things. He wasn't going to answer this kind of stuff. But Jesus doesn't shy away from this, folks. Jesus goes toe-to-toe with Annas. He says, ask someone. Bring someone in. What is Jesus saying? Another part of Jewish law. Where's the witness? Bring the witness in. Come on, bring the witness in. Where's the law? He reminded the high priest that these proceedings were highly illegal. What does one of the officers do? Smacks them. Strikes him in the mouth. Told you the atrocities would start to heat up. They bound him and he struck him. Imagine, Jesus was standing there so helpless and so defenseless. He's bound. He can't move. He opens his mouth and the guy goes, bam. The atrocities are ramping up, folks. It's going to get a lot worse. You are a sure Our time with you is coming to an end today on A Sure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of John. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. 
We encourage you to download these messages so that they are available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit Assure Hope Radio for times and directions. If you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live. Just look for the link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of John. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from this book that entails where Jesus walked and the amazing wonders he performed while here on earth. He's still doing wonders today too. Come hear about that next time on A Sure Hope.